Let's pray together, church. Father, we echo the words of the song. We would rather have Jesus than silver or gold or anything this world affords because you are better. You are greater. You are worth it. Father, open our hearts, open our minds. Awaken us as you have done with Sophia. Awaken us that we might see you, love you, treasure you, and grow in our faith this morning through the study of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What is the best tool in your toolbox? It's not uncommon for probably every household has a toolbox. What is the best tool? Some may say, well, it's the drill, of course. We use it the most. It's the screwdriver, the hammer. It's the crescent wrench. I'll give you my answer by way of illustration. This, this week I had uh, the, the privilege, the joy, the opportunity to spend some time with Ethan. Uh, we were working on, on Abby's Jeep, and uh, she, we had to replace a part in the Jeep. And uh, thankfully, my neighbor, Matthew, was there with us as well, and, uh, and we had to crawl under and, and reach up, and it was the starter for some of these that really care, and, and it was the first time I'd ever done that. And so we were digging up there, oil was all dripping all over the place, and it was a, quite a mess. But I quickly realized that this wrench worked for this bolt, and then this other wrench worked for this bolt. And then I had to, to manually switch something to get it to work because you had about two centimeters to be able to turn the wrench. So it was that wrench for that job. And, and so my answer to the question, what is the most important tool in the toolbox is it depends on the job because you need the right tool for the job. And with that mindset, we read the Bible. And uh, so this morning, I would like to ask for your, your prayer as we walk through this, because this, is, uh, this morning's message hits some, strikes some nerves. Uh, it, it has some, some things that are, are challenges for us as we walk through the Bible and we see truly w- what is God's design for us, for you, for me, and how does, why does God's design matter? For us, and, and and that can can pinch some nerves, if if you will, and I'll explain that as we walk through that. We're in our year of joy. Twenty twenty four is our year of joy. As Pastor Stephen read the verses from Philippians four, four through six this morning, I'll read them to, over you again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is our year of joy, and this morning, the title of the message, if you're writing it down, or just for your information, is Joy in Our God-Given Roles. Joy in Our God-Given Roles. How do we find joy in what God has apportioned or assigned for us? Because oftentimes what people try to do is find something else to do rather than what God has 
commanded, assigned, or given for us. We feel like when we look around, somebody else's job is more exciting, more fun, or there's more joy over there. So rather than finding joy in what God has assigned to us, we try to fit that job into our job description. Let me see if I can, can illustrate that as we walk through what the Bible says. And, and so today we, we look at the truth that God has assigned different tasks to different people. God has assigned different tasks to different people. And some of those are based on the giftings that God has gifted you. Some of those are based on how God has made you. And some of that is based on, on who you are. The most important principle that I'd like to lay before you this morning before we start reading verses and interpreting verses is this. And, and it's three questions that I have for you. One is, do we find joy in God's wisdom and design? Can we rejoice that God has a wisdom that we don't have and he has assigned things that we don't have the right to assign. Can we find joy in God's plan over our plan? That's a, that's a principle that we need to think through as we walk through God's design. Secondly, can we find joy in God's role for us? I, right now, my role is the pastor. And sometimes it's not fun being the pastor. I'm going to go ahead and tell you all that. Sometimes it's great fun being the pastor. But God's role for me right now is in this role. And it is my job to say, that's your calling, not mine. And I'm going to find joy in that, even when it's difficult at times. For many of you, you're not a pastor. That's okay. You're a husband. You're a mother. You're a, you're a child. You're a church member. There, there are a lot of roles that you have. But can you find joy in those? And finally, this is something that we have to recognize and we have to say is, it is a sin to revolt against God's roles for our lives. It is wrong. It is wrong to take what God has assigned for us to do and to ignore it or to distort it or to change it. So first one, do you find joy or delight in the fact that God has designed things the way he has? Secondly, can you find joy in what he's assigned for you? And thirdly, do we recognize that there is sin when we reject that? And we're going to walk through the scripture and you're going to see why those questions matter. So we're going to begin with an Old Testament history of, of God and his design. All right, y'all with me? I'm going to warn you, I, I share all of this out of a broken heart um, in, in some ways and a humble heart might be a better word. There are things we will hit today that are going to be difficult for some. There are things that are going to be elementary for others. But it is important for us as a church to walk through some of these things together. And this is going to turn into two weeks. Uh, so please be humble as you hear, as I try to be humble as I share. Ultimately, it is God who makes these determinations. All right. From the beginning, if you have your Bible, please open to Genesis chapter 1. God has been designing since, well, since the beginning. In the beginning, God created, help me out, church. 
the heavens and the earth. That verse is not up here, but, but you know that. That was God's design. He created the heavens and the earth. He did it for a reason. It wasn't an accident. The Bible says he created it. It is an active thing in which God did. And God doesn't do things without reason. God is a God of purpose, a God of design. The, the Bible's clear through that all throughout. He made heaven and earth for a reason. He made a physical realm for a reason. God is a spirit. He's not physical. But he made a physical realm for a reason. And not only did he create the heavens and the earth, he also created man. And God created not only man, but he also formed Eve out of the man. Genesis 1.28, not only did he create them, but he gave them purpose and reason. And that's what we'll read here. And God blessed them. First, he said, in the image of God, I've created them. Male and female, I have created them. We're going to look at that in a minute. But, but watch this. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, of the heaven and everything that lives in it. So, so hear what I'm saying. God has designed humanity and given them a role. Be fruitful, multiply, expand, and then have dominion or rule over what I have given to you. That's God's role. When we take that, that role for all of mankind and we say, well, we're not going to be fruitful and multiply. We're not going to have dominion over it. We are rejecting in some ways God's command to mankind through Adam and through Eve. God has given us a role of dominion to not say, I'm just going to sit back, relax, and do nothing, but I am going to have dominion. I am going to be creative. I am going to produce. I'm going to do things. Anyway, that's another sermon, but that's right there at the beginning. He created them with a purpose to bear his image, to be fruitful, and to have dominion. God created mankind for a reason. Are we all okay with that? Everybody's okay with that? That one's not, y'all know that one. Y'all have heard that before. Secondly, in our Old Testament survey, Abraham. Abraham is the father of nations. Genesis 12, 1, God chose Abraham for a reason. Now, look, this might be stories you've already heard. Bear with me. This is all moving to a point. Genesis 12, 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Go somewhere else and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I want to use you as a blessing, but go. Abraham had a choice. He decided he would be obedient to God. He followed God and God accomplished the purpose that he had for Abraham. God chose Abraham go, he obeyed, and God accomplished his purpose. And ultimately, Abraham is one of the few that hears God's commands who does it and is obedient to the end and is actually commended for it. But ultimately, that blessing that would come from Abraham, help me out, church, what is that great blessing that comes from Abraham? It's Jesus. It's Christ Jesus, our Lord. The, The blessing that he's speaking of is Jesus. All right, thirdly, we've got Adam and Eve. We've got Abraham. How about Moses? God chose Moses and gave him a role. Moses, Exodus 3, verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said, who am I that I should go and bring the children out of Egypt? Well, here you have 
a role that God has given to Moses for deliverance of God's people. Okay? God chose him, gave him a role, and Moses kind of pushed back a little bit. Oh, who am I? You want me doing this? So we begin to see some, some pushback on God's role. Moses eventually does it. So we, we give him credit, but there's a doubt, there's a fear. And, and we're seeing that, that maybe there's, there's pushback that comes to God's role. Well, we get a further, a greater explanation or, or example of that with Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, again, Old Testament, God calls him. Jonah 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. My, my role for you is go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, preach against it, for their evil has come up against me. Jonah hates the people of Nineveh. He hates the Assyrian people and because they're ruthless people. And Jonah says, I'm not going to do it. He raises up, goes to Tarshish, the other direction, from the presence of God. He went down to Joppa, found a ship, paid the fare, went down to it, away from the presence of the Lord. God had a role for Jonah. Jonah chooses not to do that role and says, I'm doing something else. Away from the presence of God. And then you probably know the story of Jonah. What happens to Jonah? Yeah. They, they toss him out the boat. Gets sucked up by a fish. Converts himself to God's role. And then goes and accomplishes it. And then complains to God. Y'all know that story. Alright. These are all individuals. Are y'all still with me this morning? God has a role for an individual. They either obey or they don't. They sin or they don't sin. But God has a specific role for them. Now let's look at a bigger group of people. Let's look at a whole nation of people. And you probably guessed it. We're going to look at the nation of Israel. God is our king. But we want a, another king. One way in which they, they rebel. But specifically, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. Watch what God does to them. But, I, but this command I gave to my people. Obey my voice. And this is... Let's stop for a moment. This is kind of a summary of Deuteronomy and, and Numbers uh, in Jeremiah. because, uh, And actually Exodus too. God's call for them. And Jeremiah is summarizing this. Obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people. God's role for them, be obedient. You're going to be my people. And walk in the way that I command you that it may be well with you. And then Jeremiah's commentary further is, but they did not obey or incline their ear, but they walked in their own counsel and the stubbornness of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward. God's role was that they would be a priests to the people around them, that they would show them who God is. That's my role for you, Israel. And they reject that role and don't do it. God had a role. They rejected it. Now, we could go on with the priesthood. God chose Levi to do a job, and, and for the most part, they did that well. How about the kings? We, God chose Saul. God chose David. Most were unfaithful. Some were faithful. The prophets, God chose Isaiah. God chose Jeremiah, Zephaniah, all of these guys. God chose these people for a role. God is a God who chooses people for a role to accomplish for his great purpose. Have I made that clear? Is that okay? Are we all on the same page? I hope that. I gave you lots of examples. We're going to move on. 
But remember, let me give you those three questions again I started with. Do we find joy in God's wisdom? Now, what we've read through, a summary of the Old Testament, do you find joy that God chose to do the things that he did? I hope so. Because that is God's wisdom working its way out in the scripture. Secondly, we can't really answer this one yet, but do you find joy in God's role for you? Now, we're not there yet, so hold that question. And have we seen that it is sin to revolt against God's role, God's chosen role for us? And I think you see that very clearly with Jonah and, and, and some of the others. All right. New Testament survey. Y'all with me still? Let me give you a New Testament survey. Matthew chapter 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, who's talking now? Jesus. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you what? So what was the role that Jesus had for Simon and Andrew? I'm going to make you man fishers. Very nice. That's my role for you. I'm choosing my role for you. Come and do it. Anybody have a problem with that role that he chose for Simon and for Andrew? Anybody? Anybody? Not, not a problem? Okay. God called them to a role. How about Paul? Remember, Paul was persecuting Christians, led to the death of, of Stephen. Stephen goes to heaven in Acts chapter 7. And then the conversion of Paul, and Paul meets, God meets with Paul on the road to Damascus. And says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus meets with him, talks to him. Why are you persecuting me? And then we hear the rest of Paul's testimony to, to other people that says, God is, you are my chosen messenger to bring the message to the Gentiles or to the, to the nations. I'm going to use you as my messenger. God chose Paul. Here's your role. Paul accomplishes it. We're studying in my class. If you want to learn more, we meet every Sunday morning, 9 o'clock in my classroom. You can come learn about those journeys. We did Berea today. God chose a role for Paul. This is my role. Go and do it. Does God have a right to do that? You betcha. He's God. He can choose people and do what he wants. Uh, We've got it up here. Acts chapter 9. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. All right, you see that. And he's going to suffer. That's God's role for him. You're going to be a suffering servant of mine, Paul. And and incidentally, Paul's life parallels Jesus's life in, in a lot of ways. Suffering for the namesake. All right. This is our, there, there are other examples, many others. When Paul says, when select elders at the churches for this role. Uh, many other examples, Old Testament, New. Here's the, the foundation that I wanted to get you to. And it is this. And I did it in the first 20 minutes. I'm so proud. God has purpose for his design. And he calls people like you and me and people in the scripture For a specific purpose, and it is their job to embrace God's role for what he's called them to do. Are we okay with that, church? Can we move forward with that? I hope that is clear. If you have issues with that, that's okay. We can talk through it, but that's that's the beginning. That's the foundation. All right. How does this apply to us? This is application. We're taking scripture that was written 
uh, from 4,000 years ago to 2,000 years ago, or 1,500-year period there, and we're applying it to today. 2,000 years after the last book is written, how do we apply this? All right. Here's a problem that happens when many of us get into the Bible. We want to define our own role. And, and some of you say, no, that doesn't happen. We believe God does that. But y'all, even in the Southern Baptist Convention, we have problems with role. And certain people believe this is God's role and certain people believe that's God's role. I'm not going to get into all that at the moment. But this is a big issue. Does God assign a role for us? And are we finding joy in God's role for us and doing what God has assigned for us to do? Not just in the Southern Baptist circles, in our culture, we have huge problems with this. And we're going to get into this. So again, I do this with humility. Some of you guys may struggle with some of these issues and some of you may not. But you all have people that you know that do. I bet you. Let's start with the basic building blocks, all right? The basic building blocks of creation into our day-to-day that our nation is struggling with is Genesis 1.27. Genesis 1.27. So I want to read this. I want you to just read it and soak it in, all right? Again, with humility, but with, uh, with clarity. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All right? In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our culture is confused at God's design of male and female. And I bring this up in church because some of you may or may not know this, but this creeps into our young people, especially their lives. Let me explain. Uh, This week I read a credible survey that said of Gen Z. Raise your hand if you're Gen Z. All you teenagers, raise your hand. Everybody except Titus. But I'm going to include you, Titus, because you're right at the border. Gen Z. One, nearly one in three people of Gen Z identifies as homosexual or transgender. One in three. Count how many we have in here. God's design for manhood and womanhood and our sexuality through that is not ours to determine. Okay? I say this clearly, but with humility, to say it is not my job to decide what I am. God did that. And if I believe in a sovereign God who can do all of these other things, and I have delight and joy in the fact that he made me what I am. So I want to tell you, Samantha, God made you. A young woman, a woman. He made you a woman. And it is our job to delight in that. 
not to try to alter that or find ways of getting around that, but to rejoice in that. Jonathan, God has made you a man. Delight in the fact that you are a man. Let's keep going. And, and I want to get to, to, to some other passages of Scripture that I hope that you and I can see the things that are going on. Men and women are different. God has designed it and geared it. And, and if you're married, you probably have figured this out, that men and women are different in a lot of ways. And, and I don't speak with a, an, a, a, I speak with a broad brush, but knowing that this is not always the rule. But there are characteristics of women that are general for most women. It's not always. And it's not a problem if it's not this way. But in general, women are much more nurturing and caring for especially their children. Now, you can watch most. uh, I saw a, a video this week from somebody posting how a mom carries a baby. It's stereotypes. But there's something behind it. How a mom carries a baby, protecting the head, making sure that the baby's head doesn't hit the doorway, laying it softly down, you know, nurturing and carrying that baby. And then they showed the dad carrying him by the, the back of his clothes, swinging him around like this. You know, It's funny. We laugh because you know it's true. You know, When the dad gets the, the baby, they're going to toss him up in the air. You know, most mamas aren't going to do that. What does all that mean? Well, that's not scripture, but that's observation to say what we see when we see men and women are different. Most mamas don't wrestle with their sons because they're not good enough. That's why. Men and women are different, and that is by design. I want you all to hear this. Can I say it this way? It is good that men are different than women. And look, God gave us things to observe. You can, you can look at, at a body and see, Pastor Stephen looks a lot different than Miss Lynette. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> and, and you don't have to look very closely to find out. Men are different than women by design. And it's good. So women in the house, I want to speak with you for a moment. Delight in the fact that God made you a woman. It is good. He is giving you gifts that you, that men cannot comprehend or know. I asked Miss Karen, we got a haircut yesterday. I said, Miss Karen, what do you like about being a woman? And she said, I love, love being a mother. I just love being a mother. Ladies, men can't be mothers. And that's okay. In fact, that's good. Be a mother. Enjoy that. It's not just motherhood because some women are mothers. And that's okay too. But God's design for our lives is God's design for our life. It is not our job. In fact, question number three goes so far to say it is sin to reject God's design for our lives. It's wrong. If God made you a man, be a man and delight in being a man. Because God has a purpose for making us who we are. 
Let me give you a passage of scripture talking about the distinction between men and women. We are different. Here's one from Ephesians chapter 5. Some of you guys are getting married soon. This one's especially for you. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. There is a role in the home. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. There is a role of headship given to men in the home according to God through his apostle Paul. It's not my job to change it or to walk around it or to skirt it. It's, it's written. It's my job to, to, to share it. Verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. This is where it falls apart sometimes. There's not a proper love going on for our wives, husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself, us for, gave himself up for her. What is your role, husband? Love your wife. And what is love? Help me out, somebody. Wanting the best for someone and doing something about it. Husbands, you better love your wives. If you rebel against that, you know what we call it? That's sin. Wives, you better submit to your husband. Because if you don't, you know what we call it? We call it sin. That is God's design and order for the house. There is nuance to that. I get it. There are circumstances and things that you have to work through. But these are the fundamental things, principles given to us. Most churches, most Christians, most of you guys, like Sophia, given her life to the Lord this morning, representing that. Most people don't have a problem with Christ being the head of the church. We don't have a problem with that. Jesus is Lord of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the authority of the church. We don't have a problem with that. But we get to this verse that says, as Christ is the head of the church, so husband is the head of the wife. People are like, ah, man, I don't know about that. But it's, it's there. So we can't undo it. This is what the Bible says. Eli, you're going to have fun with that one. I know you are. I just thought of that. All right. I, I've, got, I've got two passages that I want to show you. We're not going to fully be able to develop this morning. But I think these are very important on this topic. Romans chapter 1. And, and this goes to nature, all right? As Christians, here's the clear point, is God has created men and women differently and given them different roles. It doesn't mean he loves men more than women. It doesn't mean men are more valuable than women. No. Okay? Just because your role is different doesn't mean that your value is different. So don't hear me say that or anyone say that. Different is different. Not better or worse. It's, it's just different. Romans chapter 1. I'd like to read to you starting in verse 21. This is where this creeps into our fundamental understanding of God's creation of men and women. Watch it play out in Romans 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. And that is 
Let God be God. Let him determine the roles. Let him do his part in his, his manifold wisdom. God is God. It, the Bible says they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks. They didn't rejoice in what God has made and the way he's given us roles to say, I'm rejoicing that I'm a man. Y'all, I love being a man. I'm, God made me one, and that's great. Or give thanks to him, but they became futile or hopeless or dead-end thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Meaning they lost the truth. They lost the ability to even comprehend what is true. We see this happening today. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They gave themselves over to idolatry. Now, if you don't think that sexuality in our country is a religion, it is. It is a religious thing. People follow it religiously. We have to understand it that way. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over or gave them up. In the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up or gave them over to, watch it now, to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged, and and let me... Put your attention to this word. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Let me give you the the thought of this word nature matters. Nature is the natural way in which God has created something to function. It is natural. We're going to see this again. That's why I want to be clear for you. Nature is the way that God designed something to work. And and people say, I don't want the natural way. I want to do it this other way. Because I think I can do it better than what God has designed. Okay? Let's keep going. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God or revere him appropriately, the Bible says God gave them up to a debased mind to do whatever ought not to be done. Okay. Uh, We're not going to dig in as deeply as we could here. Here's what I want you to see. God has created a natural way that is good and right. And as we go back to our initial questions or statements, it is wrong to rebel against that. Do we have delight that God has designed men and women differently for a purpose? We need to delight in that. How about that God has created me a man and you a woman or a man? Do you delight in that and embrace that God has given me manhood and there are certain things that come with manhood like headship in my home or in my church? Do I embrace that and say, okay, God, you decided, therefore I'm going to do it? Or do we find ways to say, well, women, do you find delight in the fact that God is giving you a gift that he hasn't given 
men. That he's giving you roles that he hasn't given men. And can you say, I delight in that, God. You chose me to be a woman, and I'm going to be the best woman that I can be. Now, there are manifold roles that God has given you. But this is one we're focusing on right now. I'm going to give you one more passage and, and look for nature. All right? 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says to the church at Corinth, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. I want to be like Jesus. Y'all still with me this morning? All right, watch it right here. This one, watch it. Now I commend you, brothers. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. You didn't try to change things. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. Got it? Not hard, right? The head of every man is Christ. We got that? We're good with that. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. God decides this, okay? Not me. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Now, let me explain to you what head covering was in this culture. Head covering was a way, and it's even today you're seeing it with other cultures coming into our culture. Head covering is a symbol of submission. When you see someone's head covered, it is a, a symbol to say, I am submitting. And in the Muslim tradition, for instance, the women cover their heads in submission to their husbands. It still has flowed all the way to today, and they still honor that tradition. In the ancient culture in the first century, if a man walked around with his head covered, it would be as if he were trying to be a woman. Okay? You need to understand that context, because as I read this, you'll see it play out. And, and 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, I could have said, if a, if a man walks around with his head covered, it would be like him walking around in a dress. And it would be a, a rebellion against that. And when we look weird today, that's happening a lot more. But you get the idea. All right, let me start over in verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. He breaks that authority. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Why? Because he just told us that man is the head of his wife. And so she's breaking authority. Since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now I know this is deep, guys, but I want you to see this. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. It'd be the same thing, he's saying. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Don't be disgraceful is the, basically what he's saying there. Verse 7. For if a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. He is the symbol of God's authority here on earth. He is that image. He's been given an image to bear. If he rejects that and covers his head, he is in rebellion against God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. 
Why is it that a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head? Because of the angels. And that's a great passage of study. We're not digging into that this morning, but that is a fun one. Verse 11. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. Now, this is where you've you got to watch. I told you earlier, it's not that one is better than the other. It's just that God has designed roles for each. And he says, we're not independent of each other. Y'all know what my wife means to me and what I would be without her. We're together, working together. My wife needs me. You can ask my family. She needs me. I need my wife. We're together in this. We're not independent. Verse 12. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Do you hear that? Let me say that again. And all things are from God. It is designed by God. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? The answer is no. Does not nature itself teach you? That if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory. For her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So here's what's going on. Nature is telling you if a man has womanly hair... If he's, and you can even extend that, if he's dressing like a woman or presenting himself in effeminate ways, what Paul says, nature says that that's not right. Now, I could, a whole sermon on this goes, but the point is this God has made things in a natural way to be what they are. And so, young folks, y'all face this a whole lot more than, than the rest of us do. But here's what the, the answer to a lot of the questions of, well, what's wrong with it? Or don't be judgmental or whatever is used to, to shame you for disagreeing with someone about choices that they're making in sexuality or in their gender identity is this. These are not our decisions to make. God has established something and it is our job to find joy in what God has made. Otherwise, we will never be happy. And, and congregation, I want to share with this with you. We have to address people who struggle with these issues with compassion in some ways, but with clarity in other ways. The compassion is this. People are really confused and they're looking for joy in certain things. As all of us are. But, but rebelling against what God has ordered and designed is not the way to find our joy. And I would say this about sexuality, gender identity, uh, issue, any issue of morality. God designs what's right and wrong. And he designs what is best for us. So here is your application to close this out. Your deepest joy will be found in embracing what God has designed and given to you. I'll say that one more time. Your deepest joys will be found by embracing, not rejecting, but embracing what God has designed for you. 
whether it be singleness or marriage or manhood or womanhood or as an engineer or a computer technician. Your greatest joy in life will be found by embracing what God has designed for you to be and to be that to the fullest that you can be that. The challenge sometimes is figuring out what that is. But some of those things we don't have to figure out. We just know by looking down. Next week, we will further this on some other issues. But this foundation is where we start. God has ordered things. It's not our job to change them. It's our job to receive them and find joy in them. Let's pray together. Our Father, we we come before you and we are humbled. We are humbled that you are the God who makes these decisions and we are not. So God, draw us to a place of rejoicing in who and what you've made us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I need one more minute. And I apologize, but I need one more minute. I can't throw that on you and not say this. Many people struggle with what I've talked about. Who are we? What is our role? Some of us to a sinful place where we have sought our joy in altering things. And, and I want to say this. God is a God who forgives any rebellion that we can even imagine, that we can act on, that we can produce, provided that we repent of that sin and embrace Him as God. And so I, don't, I want to tell you that there is redemption that can be found in Jesus Christ no matter what decisions you've made, surgeries you've had, pills you've taken, or anything like that. God will receive you if you will repent and come to him and, and acknowledge like, like Sophia did today and say Jesus Christ is the Lord. But if you do not, but if you do not or will not repent of the sin of rejecting God's roles for you, the Bible says there will be eternal condemnation for you. The choice is before you. Choose Christ.